0: This is Echozoi Radio, episode 176 for December 2022 with Andrew Rappaport and Fred Butler, the 2022 Roundtable.
1: Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and his word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson.
0: I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 176 for December 2022. Andrew Rappaport and Fred Butler return for our fifth annual roundtable discussion. In the past, we've revisited topics discussed throughout the year on the show, but this year is going to be a little bit different. Rather than revisiting topics, we're each bringing a mini topic of our own. Andrew brings the topic of miracles and cessationism. Fred brings Christian nationalism. And if we have time, the topic I'm bringing is God's justice. This episode should be on Rumble if you wish to, wish to watch the video, as well as Echo Zoe Locals page in both audio and video formats. If you're seeing it on YouTube, come on over and subscribe to Echo Zoe Radio on Rumble too. Also, in regards to social media, you can find Echo Zoe on Twitter, True Social, Gab, Parlor, Getter, and Telegram. You can find an up-to-date list of these various websites at echozoe.com linktree Twitter's been opening back up under Elon Musk, so I'm back to being a little bit more active there again, and you can find episode announcements on all of these websites. Finally, I want to remind everyone about the Christian podcast community. Echo Zoe Radio is one of the many excellent biblically faithful podcasts that you'll find at the Christian podcast community, and there are a lot. In fact, one of this month's guests, Andrew Rappaport, manages the Christian podcast community and has a handful of shows there. You can find the entire list at christianpodcastcommunity.org. You can subscribe to shows that you want to hear directly there, or you can subscribe to a community feed and get all of the shows on one gigantic feed. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoecom slash 176. That's where you'll find an outline of the discussion and additional resources, as well as related episodes. With that, here's my discussion with Andrew and Fred. Fred and Andrew... Great to have you back. This is our fifth annual Echo Zoe Radio really? Roundtable.
2: I thought it was just like third or
0: fourth. You know what? It's funny thing is I was just <laughs> listening to the first like 10 minutes of last year, and that's exactly the conversation we had last time. It was oh, was just, it really? The guys are like, I thought it was okay. the third. Well, wow. it's
2: just like, uh, well, I mean, time I mean, is just that, rushing by. That whole thing COVID just kind
3: of... Mess things up. Hey, I before we get started for those on video, I gotta I gotta bring out my inner Fred Butler. Okay, now am mm, feeling no, better. No. I got my hat on. <laughs> Doesn't look good over the headphones, but ah, I feel Fred Butler. Ah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Fred Butler He'll... isn't Fred Butler. And no, I only Doesn't wear those when I headphones.
2: go outside because I don't want to get my sunburn on my head <laughs> and get well, cancer. You, you know we don't we saying? don't
3: have that problem in uh in Pennsylvania and Jersey. You know.
2: Yeah, they do here.
0: Not
3: a sun. Yeah, no, no. We stay indoors in the in the winter. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> for about yeah. three or four. If you're like Minnesota, it's like three or four weeks in the spring and three or four weeks in the fall. You get outside. Otherwise, it's uh-huh. heat or air conditioning.
2: Wow. Well, here it's always like eighty. Well, is he, is he Fred has <laughs> he's got
3: green. the he's got the weather out there in California. that we got the insane communist The politics. So it's the a Insane communists. Yeah, I mean, I had it worse in Jersey because I had bad weather and bad politics, but... Well,
0: that's what wow. Minnesota's like. <laughs> and we had a discussion this year before the election, and I was saying all summer, in Minnesota we have a Democrat governor, and then a, the state House was Democrat, but the Republicans had the Senate, which I thought was weird because the way they structure it is... That we've got, like, 80-something Senate districts, and then right. they just take each Senate district, they cut it in half, and then each half is a House district. So I, I don't know how you end up—it's it's really weird how you end up with, like, the one party doing one and one party doing the other, because you got the same people voting for, you know, basically <laughs> the same—
3: well, I thought this it was going is... to be really fun when you guys had the professional wrestler as a governor. I thought that might be really oh, that was 20 that.
0: years ago. Yeah, it was I 1998. I that,
3: that would be entertaining to see how the how laws would be passed. Like, you know, did they get into a ring and tag each other? To... <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I had this discussion with my wife. I'm like, there's really not a lot of, I don't know what's keeping us here. Like, why do we live here? The summers are nice, but I mean, other than that, why do we live here? And And I said, you know, the way things are going... If if the GOP can't hold on to just something, like, I don't want them to own the whole thing. I just want something. If they can't hold on to something, we got to leave. We just got to get out of here. And sure enough, the Democrats took over everything in the election. They took that one or two seat Senate majority the well, GOP. I think
3: you did say that right, by the way. They didn't win an election. They took an election. I think <laughs> yeah. you got that correct.
0: Yep, um, yep. So, I don't know, none of us really have a great situation, I guess. I mean, it's oh, a well. worse in Pennsylvania. You I mean
3: Oh I yeah, know. we we voted for a dead man. I mean, <laughs> what do you do with that? Yeah. We, we got a guy who is I mean, we have one that is a walking dead and he got a he they they somehow gave him the the election. And then you got a guy that actually is dead. Was dead for a month. And but he won. Yeah. Yeah, How, how's he going to do the job from the <laughs> grave? Huh? That's amazing. Well,
0: if people, if if you can vote when you're dead, you should be able to r-
3: run when you're dead, right? That's what, that All is right. what exactly what I had said. By the way, <laughs> you know they talked about a red wave, and I've said this: there was a red wave this past election. And there really was. Just look at any state that issued voter integrity. And you had a red wave. Any state like my own where they were allowed to change the law even the day of the election yeah, to say, "Oh, no, no. you get 10 more days to vote, and you don't mm-hmm. need an address on your ballot, you don't need a name, just whatever you want goes, just get the ballot in. And it was a blue wave. Kind of makes it really clear how people got elected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then they blame candidate quality.
3: Yeah. When,
0: a, yeah. when a guy who can't speak wins a Senate race. Yeah, there, there's against no, against a guy whose whole career has been on TV. Correct. Like who?
3: I mean, look, well, Oz yeah, but he's not, kind of a quack. Yeah, so Oz was, was, was not a great not candidate that. for a Republicans, right? I mean, but but he's better than the guy. Vote him over over Fetterman. But right, hey, it doesn't matter. They got they got Philadelphia. They they got enough people to just bring in. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Philadelphia just they just had a. Uh, someone that stole ballots he, in the 2020 election. It's just amazing how many people have been arrested for voter fraud in the most secure, accurate election ever.
0: Yeah. Know. Well, and then they clearly do that just as like a token, like, see, we're, we're trying to be fair. You know, okay. they get some rinky dink guy who like stuffed 25 ballots in a, in a drop box and we're going to arrest him. And then we're going to claim all oh, the rest of it was just pristine and squeaky clean. All
2: uh, right. Well, this
0: has been the McClare hour.
2: If you guys would like to... uh...
0: Well, let's start with your topic there, Fred. You wanted to talk about Christian nationalism.
2: Oh, oh, yeah. Well, my as I told you on the phone, I said this would probably like work me up into some kind of stroke or heart attack (laughs) because it's such an irritating... The people who promote it are so irritating and the people who stand against it are irritated. Okay, so I don't know how many of your... um, listeners are familiar with Christian nationalism but the idea is that the definition you usually hear from like the oh I guess you could say the the people out there that are the progressive types and the both evangelical and secular is that it's the worst cultic thing to kind of pop up in the last few years and all sort of centers around Trump and it's the worship of politics in the church and all of that sort of thing and so anybody who's serious about you know the constitution or if you're a christian who might have a flag in your church or you know you're concerned about the school board election and you don't want grown men dressed in lingerie to snuggle and read books with your you yeah. know, kindergartners well then somehow you're a christian nationalist all of a sudden and it's that that has nothing to do with Christian nationalism. And most people, I mean, if you're into like history and you actually read, you know, history stuff, Christianity has played a part in American politics ever since its inception. And I mean, even before America, you had the colonial times, you had Increase Mather, for instance, who was went over to um, England to try to, you know, figure out which governor was going to come over and sort of oversee the colonies on behalf of the crown. And he was intricately involved in trying to get a good guy who would honor and respect the charter. At the time, you know, of the colony, that would recognize it as Congregationalist and Puritan, and would respect the what, what time frame was this? Oh, what, it was in the seventeen hundreds or whatever. Like, and uh, I colonial think colonial still. Yeah, colonial times, back in the seventeen late sixteen hundreds, early seventeen hundreds. Okay. Um, and they, again, Cotton Mather did the same thing. And
0: then, as time, which came five, first? You said Increase Mather. Who was, who An- was the...
2: Increase was, co- was Cotton Mather's daddy. Okay. So Increase was like the pastor of Boston Church, I think, for years and years and years. And then when he went to England, of course, you know, over there, you, you know, back in that time, I mean, you had to travel across the ocean and you were there for several years, you know, to talk to people. So while he was away, Cotton sort of took over his preaching duties. And that's how he became rather notorious and well-known uh, in the in the Boston, Massachusetts area. And um, but at any rate, the whole point of that is Christianity has, has always played a part in American politics, and, and and Christians want to have their values. There's nothing unpatriotic or or rather, well, let's say let, let me put it another way. It's there's nothing unbiblical or unChristian to want to have God's law, this simple morality reflected in our laws and our culture and in our society. I mean, there's something to say about a, a pristine culture where you don't have pornographic, you know, advertisement billboards up all over the place. And you have some sort of respect of, you know, the police and authority and things like that. And to suggest that because you are desirous of that, you're a Christian nationalist and you worship the flag and, you know and all that sort of thing that's just absurd and ludicrous i mean even in the 1980s you had the moral majority with you know um oh i can't even think of his name the guy from liberty um those guys
0: uh, it, jerry falwell oh
2: jerry falwell yeah i'm thinking of his son he turned out to be an adulterer but anyway <laughs> there is the a lot jerry liberty.
0: falwell as well
2: yeah oh my gosh but uh Je- but they're But the thing is, is that Christians have always had a desire and an interest in political things, and there's nothing untoward about that or unbiblical or dishonoring to Christ. I would even say there's nothing wrong with a church on the 4th of July weekend or whatever, wants to sing some kind of patriotic song as a choir, you know, thing. I mean, there's nothing that would light
0: twitter up these days
2: oh my gosh (laughs) i know i mean i get that you have like crackpot that guy in dallas who might have sean hannity or trump come and speak to his congregation for an hour i mean I, i i don't like that either but to have some sort of you know general patriotism as a believer is not wrong it's not sinful yeah Okay, so all okay, so you got that side, right, that's going all after the Christian nationalists. And then on the other hand, you have these post-millennial theonomy guys who have decided to embrace the idea of Christian nationalism. And so now they're trying to make theonomy and post-millennialism Christian nationalism. So that if you are genuinely, truly a Christian nationalist, well, you will see the need to get in and to really... Um, you know change the culture and you know take dominion over all of the various you know areas of our society which i'm not an, opposed to you know christians getting involved in politics or you know general things in in the society they know we're the just talking is, about
0: like the culture war just participating yeah the they participate.
2: participating well their whole thing is like you need to bring in God's law to be all over every one of those things. Which, okay, well, yeah, I get that. But postmillennialism and theonomy and reconstructionism is not Christian nationalism. That this, there's that's they're kind of hoisting that um, those concepts onto the idea of Christian nationalism. So right now they're the big book that is under all sorts of. I guess you could say criticism from all different sides is a book called um, oh, it's called Christian Nationalism or a Case for Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf. and it was published by Doug Wilson's printing presses up in Moscow, Idaho. And it's getting uh, pushed out there as like sort of the you know manuscript or the um, you know the the manual on how to do Christian nationalism and what it is and everything. And the problem, however, is that it, it's not really based on biblical concepts. It's all based upon, you know, what the reformers thought 300 years ago and what ancient Greek culture did. And, and there's lots of boring, co- you know, quotes from Cicero and all of these Roman guys. Well, that's not Christian nationalism either. Um, and at any rate, so it's just... My I just is something that it's like nobody actually has any kind of real understanding of these issues and they don't want to have, you know, they don't want to talk about it biblically. I, I just it's what's annoying. I, what I found kind of wild is how when it kind of came out that i um, in this one review that David Bonson, who is the son of Greg Bonson, right? The guy who did presuppositional apologetics. Well, he tweeted out a review on Twitter um, about this guy that was critiquing Wolf's book. And one of the first opening things he kind of mentions is like, it doesn't have, he has like maybe 16 references to scripture in his 400 page book. And he doesn't even try to, if you're going to build something that's going to be Christian nationalism, don't you want to use the main source material that defines what Christianity is and who God is and how christians should function in a civil society and how the christians have done that over you know in ancient times in the first century uh at the formation of the church i mean wouldn't you be wanting to build a case that's somewhat exegetical and biblical but this guy even says in his book or in his opening chapters is like well yeah people will probably be annoyed that i don't have a whole lot of biblical references and everything and uh you know, I'm, that's really not my expertise. I'm not really an exegete or a theologian, you know, but I'm going to quote from all of these other sources. Well, okay, they're right there. You just cut the throat of your own book because you're trying to make a case for Christian nationalism. You're not, you're not trying to make a case. I mean, I guess you could say a better title would be, you know, the case for, you know, historic Protestant, you know, government, you know, <laughs> you know or whatever since the Reformation. But nobody's gonna buy that, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's gonna. That doesn't really address the current issue. But anyway, that that's just so. That was I've been. I mean, I tell you what, that's just been, every time I get on Twitter, I just see all of these different people that you, that you would generally be aligned with because I agree with some of their things. You know, they're trying to push post millennialism as Christian nationalism, and no, I'm not. That's Christian nationalism. I really have zero interest in that. Cause I don't think post-millennialism is necessarily biblical. I don't, I don't agree with it. So, but I'm all for, you know, God's law and his
0: morality
2: in some form in our society.
0: Uh, so. well, that's just generally part of being salt and light. Yeah, I mean, of
2: course.
0: You, see, you, you don't know, have preserving... to
2: be post-millennial though, to be salt and light. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah.
0: yeah that's a, um, eschatological view that i just can't understand i mean i disagree with millennialism. i just don't even understand post-millennialism
2: well, well post-millennialism is kind of a um it's sort of it, it it's 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 like all millennialism but it's different in the way that it's going to it understands the coming of christ so rather than You know, it says all millennialists, there are all millennialists who will hold to a tribulation and a time of judgment, and then Christ returns, and then it's the eternal Mm -hmm. state. But postmillennialism sees the church being triumphant and victorious over all of society and culture so that the gospel brings into submission you know, all the nations everywhere. So that, well, I mean, I,
0: I, I guess I should be a little bit more careful with how I say that. Cause I mean, I understand what post-millennialism is. I just don't know how people hold to it. I don't it's
2: either. Just, like my, I mean, like sweet James White. I mean, and White. some guys
0: are so, uh, I mean, they're, they're very good at describing it and convincing, you know, like, um, you just said James White, um, who's his, uh, Jeff well, Durbin is, when yeah. Jeff Durbin describes it, I mean, he's, I mean, James you want to White, become a post millennialist when you James hear him talk White about it. James is like
2: but... my um, favorite gloom and doom post millennialist because <laughs> every one of his tweets. is But isn't that a about... contradiction
0: in terms? How, I mean, I know. gloom and doom post millennialist. <laughs> <know. laughs>
2: it's terrible. I can't believe you had all these senators vote the, you know, for gay marriage bill or whatever. And it's like, well, okay, what happened to the victorious gospel going forth around the world? Yeah, I mean, I love
0: James White, but (laughs) my biggest frustration with him is he—I mean, he is really great about talking about the sovereignty of God. I mean, he 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 seems to understand it very well, but yet he doesn't practice it in so many ways because he's, like you said, so gloom and doom. How can you be gloom and doom when you're holding to—
3: That is his post-millennialism, right? So. So the postmillennialism is this optimistic view that God will win in the end. I mean, I, look, there's an well, appeal, I believe that there's there's an appeal for postmillennialism. We'd love to see the gospel reigning all over the world and people wanting to live for for Christ. That's what we would want. So uh, could God? Well, I believe it'll happen. You
2: believe it'll happen, but Christ it, is the one who brings it in, right? Yeah, I,
3: I, exactly. In in yeah. an actual millennial <laughs> kingdom, but you know, here here's the thing. With and Fred hit on this, and I didn't know where Fred's position was, so it was going to be interesting to see how we're going to go with it. Because the issue I have with this term "Christian nationalism" is the fact that it was a term started from the left to mm-hmm. silence Christians. That's the like purpose. in the
2: last ten years, like in the last two years,
3: correct? And, right. and but no, that oh, can that not
0: just end up being like the term "Christian" itself? Well, that's what originally, they, but that's what was they want. A, what? derogatory term but the christians took it and ran with it and we've used it for two
3: thousand years now okay so let's look where we are in history right and see what's happening you have politicians that are getting elected by attacking christianity that's the goal now what they get elected with they stay elected with this is no different than nazi germany did they have plans for concentration camps no they didn't They just got elected by blaming everything on the Jewish people. And then they had to keep that going because as long as they kept the common enemy, they could keep their power base. And that's what's going to happen. So this is just pushing the envelope, Christian nationalism. They, these big meanies that want to end homosexuality. I mean, that's really what it is, Mm -hmm. their, their argument. And yet what are they doing? The exact same thing. I mean, they're just an, uh, you know, homosexual religion that wants to push their thing into the the political realm and force everybody to bow to them. But the difference is, Christians actually aren't asking everyone to go to church. I mean, I don't know any Christian politician that ever tried to pass a law in, in recent history demanding everybody go to church. But there are laws demanding that every Christian accept homosexuality. That law was just passed. And we're mm-hmm. going to start seeing that one be played out as they start to shut down churches for not carrying the the you know LGBT line. So mm-hmm. the problem I have with Christians trying to take on that label, uh, especially those I mean, look, there's a reason that what, what was it, MSNBC or whoever went to to Moscow to interview Doug Wilson and put mm-hmm. because Doug mm-hmm. is saying everything that the Moscow world, Idaho.
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
3: my, soul, know, yeah. <laughs> my soul, know. You know, he's he, Doug Wilson saying everything the liberals want heard in the culture. You know, I mean, they want the theonomy. they want to hear someone say, "We should stone homosexuals. We should stone disobedient children." Right? They they want someone saying to put the law of God as the law of America because that that just plays to the liberal base. So mm-hmm. I think taking the the that label on. Is problematic. I I think James White had even mentioned because I think he went up to have the discussion with Doug about is it Christian nationalism or Christian dumb, and and I think that is a better way to go is to say we want Christian dumb, to to not say we're we're not use the label that they're using to that's going to be used to put us into camps or into jail, but to to change it and say no this is what we're actually saying and point out how it's the left that is actually doing what they're trying to mm-hmm. say Christians are doing. All right. Christians want homosexuals to repent. Muslims want to throw them off buildings, which is the real threat. I, so right. you know, what, what I see with it is, uh, I see it problematic to take on that label. Now, I also think that the issue from a Christian view is, and this is where you're going to see I'm not post-millennial, I'm, I'm not trying to change our culture as a Christian, I am in the world, but not of the world. And so my job in the world is to be salt and light in this world and to share the gospel. And if it is God's will that he brings a revival, that many repent, I guarantee the politicians will follow. I mean, they go wherever Mm -hmm. the votes are. They could care less what it is. They believe Republican or Democrat, they are just going with the votes. And so Mm -hmm. if this country, if, if more Christians, would stop focusing on politics and start focusing on the gospel. Maybe they would complain less about the politics. <laughs> and, but I can see also the appeal. Fred, you brought up the the post, you know, post mill, and why it is that that seems to be on the rise. I can see the appeal. You you have especially here in America, you have a rise of post millennialism in America, and I think what it comes down to is we're seeing a reaction to the politics of our time. You see Christians that are seeing what's going on and post-millennialism, you know, it helps to stir up that activism to do something politically under the guise of Christ. And, right. and I think that's really what we see. We see this rise because people want to put a stop to what they're seeing politically. And unfortunately, what I see with some, not all postmillennials but some postmillennials they're sharing the gospel because they want to change America, not or, or change the world to bring Christ in, not because they're they're you know not so much out of a concern for that soul. And I would argue biblically that we don't see uh, large. We're never going to see large numbers of like here's everyone's following Christ in a in a sinful world. Now I would say when, as Fred said, in a literal millennium, when Christ is reigning. I could see that because Christ Mm. is reigning. It can be very Satan's
2: bound. There's not that, you know, adversary that's stirring up strife and, you know, anger and triggering all the magenta-haired people to scream on TikTok. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, he's exactly right. I think you will have Christians. Should you be involved in politics? Well, yeah, sure. Go out and vote. We've been given that providence. That's not what is your aim and your goal, though you you need to be focusing on sharing the gospel and then from that as you see people responding to the gospel and like Andrew is saying about revival when there's been historic revivals in the past will society change well of course because those people get saved and they actually want to reflect that in the society that they serve so you're going to have mm-hmm. politicians who are interested in you know maintaining laws that uh, uphold God's moral dictates, you know what I mean? It's not going to be, you know, they'll leave the secular kind of notions behind because they want to beat those, uh, that salt and light, you know, in society. Well, that'll change. But again, just like it was in Nineveh, Nineveh repented for at least 40 years, you know, they apparently were living as a quasi, you know, godly society, they weren't covenant people as it were, but then eventually Assyria Nineveh fell. And went back to their old ways and uh, came under God's judgment when he wiped them out.
3: You know, Fred, it's funny that the one article that I have at Striving Fraternity that causes the most reaction is the article that I have at, uh, on political activism. Can Christians no. be involved in political activism? Uh, uh, no. And there's one line that everyone seems to get more angry about. I get more emails about one line in that article. And it's where I said that more Christians know the Republican Party message more than the gospel message. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think the reaction proves that the people that are emailing me, it's, it's probably about them. <laughs> well,
0: how much of that is just the nature of what we call the Bible Belt? I mean, I, I don't live in the Bible Belt, but I hear a whole lot of, from people who do that yeah, are believers yeah. about how it's just so cultural down there that yeah, too, everybody detriment. thinks it's that they're a, good a Christian. Thing. Everybody thinks they're Christian, but they're yeah. living with their boyfriend, girlfriend, and they're having kids out they're of wedlock, worldly. and they're doing all the things that we... Living yeah, that, hypocritically. Right. Terrible. They're not living the faith they profess. They're just claiming it because they were raised, you know, to go to church on Sunday. Yeah, at least I hear in, uh,
2: in uh, California, I mean, people are pretty honest about their hostility towards the Lord. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then you have some, you know, common opportunity to say hey well you know you're gonna die and i know you're guilty for your sin let me show you how that let me tell you how you can get you can live forever and you know be freed from the guilt of that sin you know that's why it's and, way
3: more fun to evangelize in california or new jersey or new york because then in dallas texas yeah oh yeah because he, <laughs> like it is so much easier to get into that discussion when someone goes i hate god i agree i agree you hate god you know yeah, it's you can tell but easier the I'm a Christian. Too. Like I literally remember uh, we were doing open-air evangelism at the Fall for Greenville. One of the guys is up. He's he's sharing the gospel. Someone is angry and yelling at him. The guy that I'm talking to, he's got two beers in his hand. He could barely stand up straight. And he's telling me he's a Christian and wants to go get a, pick a fight and get into a fight with the heckler. And I'm like, whoa, just chill out. I said that the, a preacher can handle himself, but, you know, he's like, oh, I don't like people making fun of Jesus like this. I'm like, dude, you, do you realize that you, in your behavior right now, are a mockery to Christ, <laughs> saying that you believe in Jesus, drunk on the street, sloshing your two beers all over me as we're talking? You know, you can't even stand up straight. Yeah. I said, You're a mockery of Christ. And then he wants to pick a fight with me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was like, I'm like, think about this. Are you really a Christian? This is the Christian behavior. You're not displaying it. And -hmm. then his girlfriend was like telling him, we should just get going. We should get going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course.
0: Well, for uh, time management reasons, maybe we should move on to. Yeah. uh, You know, just, I know James White's
2: going to listen to this and he's going to scold us on a dividing line. (laughs) So I look forward to that because I love the brother. He's a good guy.
0: <laughs> I don't know that James White has ever listened to anything, including oh, the one where
2: I'm I did. Sure, he will with this one because I'll mention it and I'll drop his name. He'll have to here. <laughs>
1: okay, so that's how I, I was going to say, including well, the episode hey, listen, where I interviewed listen, him if, if, about if, ten no, years brother ago. Brother
2: Rappaport and brother Butler.
1: Well, this if, if that's the case, I, mean, I,
3: I hope you're going to drop this after you know. December twenty second, because that's when James is coming on to apologize live to help me out with a, you know, a discussion. (laughs) Don't (laughs) get me in trouble, Fred. (laughs) Oh, I'm
2: sure he'll be gracious. Do it anyway. He is. He knows that we're good guys. Did
0: you get him to follow you again on Twitter? Because he he uh, unfollowed. Fred doesn't even follow me on
3: Twitter. I follow. Fred 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 doesn't
0: follow follow Andrew on Twitter.
3: No, Fred doesn't follow you.
0: James White does. yeah,
2: no, he James follows me because I've um, DM'd with him in the past. Well, he has open DMs, or yeah,
0: or does he? I didn't think he I had open DMs.
3: Yeah, I doubt. I doubt that he does because you would have every. Well, and that's and... actually
0: kind of confusing to me because he followed me for a while,
3: and then I thought he should. Oh, hey, yeah. Fred! Fred Man is now following me. Now I feel. Now I feel relieved.
2: Did, I followed you? I thought didn't I follow yeah. you? Yeah. I don't know who I followed. It took, it took how many
0: followers I got. Well, there was a day where he was he was visiting with somebody, and all of a sudden he he starts unfollowing a bunch of people to clean out his Twitter feed, and I didn't make the cut. <laughs> and it was right before oh, I, I, he
2: unfollowed me too. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but so.
0: I, maybe I can DM him because because he followed me at one time and we had started a DM conversation before he unfollowed me. Nah. Because I don't know. Cause I know, you know I've been I mean? able to DM him here and there, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, Hey, but, yeah. He unfollowed me. And then he followed Chris Hanholtz.
2: Everybody follows Chris Hanholtz Yeah. Who
3: doesn't follow Chris Hanholtz? He's um,
2: going to so drop the people that, memes, like Ultraman. You know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but we got to talk about cessationism and miracles.
3: Well, at least there we can agree. At least there we'll be able to agree with James White. James White will agree with us there. Just saying. But we're a ha- yes. half
0: hour into this, and I got to at least get two topics before we quit. <laughs> so we got to do miracles and cessationism. And you were talking about Idaho. And speaking of Idaho, weren't you up in Idaho talking about this stuff?
3: That's just right. a few weeks ago? Yeah, that's hey, that was we- a good series. You should go listen yeah. to it. Yeah, there was, at the cessationist conference uh which hopefully we're we're actually not in moscow though no we weren't in moscow we're hours away from that Actually, we were were, while we were in Sandpoint, idaho for that conference james white was in moscow idaho so we were we're not too far away i was gonna i was actually gonna message him to say hey i looked to see how far away it was i was like yeah it was like two and a half hours i was like yeah we're not getting (laughs) together but it, it was just too far but that that conference the way that conference came about was the guys putting the cessationist film together which, if you don't know about that, there's a new film coming out in 20, and it's hopefully we're, we're planning for the spring of 2023. A new film that'll come out on cessationism. And we, we had, there were a number of people that were not filmed yet, did not get the interviews yet for the film. Uh, they were going to fly out to Idaho to meet with uh, Jim Osmond, pastor of Kootenay Community Church. And they said, hey, can we f- fly out John Sampson so that save costs? So, you know, Jim's like, sure, but who else do you have? So they just said, let's fly everybody out to one place so you can get all the filming done in one weekend, and the church will just have a conference on cessationism. So that's how it came about. And James is actually pitching the idea of taking all of our talks and putting them into a book. So that'd be kind of neat. <clears throat> so um, but yeah, that it, it, it was a great conference. I you know, I've heard um Justin Peters do his talks many times but he he added a lot of new material to that one. Yeah, and that was a good one. Yeah, he Fair went through way, the yeah. history of all basically the history of these you know guys that that really promoted and and created the charismatic movement and they were all charlatans. I mean, like every mm-hmm. one of them was such a charlatan. You sit there and go, how could you end up Buying that, Like, if, if God is going to do something miraculous, why in the world would he do it through some people like that? <laughs> the first and it's not moment.
0: just, I mean, they were sinful and just terrible people. You know, i it's been many, many years since I've seen it, but there was a movie that really demonstrates that. And I, I want to say it's called Marjo. Oh, yeah. And I it's about a guy about. who's not a believer at all, but got into that whole area. Yeah, he and, became an actor on
2: um Dynasty or one of those eighties, you know, soap opera, evening soap opera style. He was one of the characters on that. Okay. Marjo. And I can't remember. And like I said, it's yep. probably
0: been ten or maybe even fifteen years since I watched this. Well,
2: thing, he but... he did that in the early seventies. Uh if I remember. I mean, I wasn't alive or anything. I wasn't paying attention yeah. at that time, but <laughs> I know that he, that's kind of when it took place.
3: It, it is kind of interesting from that to see when you look at the whole idea of these miraculous gifts, they weren't really normative. They weren't really talked about in Christian circles. They, they were in the cult and occult. I mean, they were very popular in Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that was one of the claims that Mormons would make as proof that Mormonism is the restored gospel. Look, we restored speaking in tongues. And so you look at this and go, I thought the Hindus did that. Yeah, man. How how can you say you're wrong? Right. Their their arguments are, Hey, we're doing the miracles that we saw in the first century. We're saying that the gospel fell away and it's now restored. And we're doing the things of the first century. And it's the message of the charismatics are, look, we're doing the things of the first century, but why did it, disappear for 1900 years right and and so i mean one of the things that my talk did i was supposed to <laughs> i was supposed to do a talk on the fading of the new testament miracles but i ended up as i dug into miracles really discovering why would we expect miracles to continue here's the pattern we see in history three periods of time where there's miracles you have no writing of scripture moses comes on the scene Moses does the Moses and Aaron do these miraculous gifts for about thirty to forty years, and and then they fade away as Moses starts writing scripture, and then you have people, jo- Joshua and others, who start writing scripture, but then it, it, a period of silence, and after that period of silence, a couple hundred years, and all of a sudden Elijah and Elisha show up on the scene and they start doing miraculous things to vindicate the writing of scripture. And for 30 40 years there's some miracles and they fade away and then there's 400 years of silence and then jesus comes on the scene then the apostles the apostles are doing these miracles vindicating that the right new writing of scripture 30 40 years and they fade away that's the pattern if you look at all the miracles and when we look at the miracles there's far less than people think there's 265 miracles recorded in biblical history so over four thousand years you have 265 miracles. Now, we expect miracles to be done by supernatural beings like God, and so Jesus has the most of them, 104. And so when you limit a supernatural person, you put it down to just human beings doing miracles, you have 81 over 4,000 years. But they're almost all in that period of time. Each one of them are in that, one of those three periods of time. So you have like roughly 100 years out of 4,000 years where there were miracles being done. And if you look at the books of Scripture and you look at all the books that mention miracles, you have a third of the biblical books mention a miracle being done. But once you limit that to human authors, you're down to to, you know, 18% of the books that mention a miracle. And so you can see that it's very limited in time, and, and all of them are limited to the purpose that it says it is in Hebrews chapter 2, that these miracles, signs and wonders and miraculous gifts and, and these things are done to attest to the revelation. So that's the purpose of it. it. The purpose of miracles are for the purpose of saying, hey, I'm saying I'm speaking for God, I'm writing God's word. I better be able to do something to vindicate that. That's the purpose of a miracle. And if you eliminate those, and let's look at, you know, say, well, we should see miracles happening today because they happened in the past. Well, if you take all the miracles that occurred outside of those three periods of time, you have 81 miracles done by humans, almost all within that period of time. But if you want to remove those and say, okay, how many of those 81s happened where there wasn't something miraculous going on like that? You you're down to eight. Wow! Eight miracles in in the other three thousand nine hundred years of biblical history. Eight, and when you look at those eight, but Kenneth Copeland does that like by you know by breakfast every morning. Yeah. See, and that's the whole thing. That this is why there's the the case has to be made by those that believe miracles exist and should be normative. There's no case for that in biblical history. We have a case for it doing it when god's revealing something but even the those eight you see where someone is revealing you know they're prophesying saying something that is in the future like that someone coming to jeroboam and saying you know you're going to be king well you better prove that that's actually from the word of god so he gets to do a miracle god uses him to do something that's the the difference is unless you're going to say you're speaking for god which is the whole thing, and, and I know this will Fred will probably talk a lot about this, but what you see with these people today, they say they're speaking for God, but mm-hmm. they say, oh, our prophecies are different. Like in the Old Testament, yeah, you had to be 100% accurate. We only have to be 80, 85, and we're still speaking for God. Well, the nature of God is God doesn't fail. He, he's omniscient. So if he says something's going to happen, he either lied or he didn't know. Right. And therefore, we, we know he can't lie. Titus 1-2, we know that he's omniscient, so therefore the only reasonable conclusion is these people that say that they can prophesy, they speak for God, and they, they prove it by these miracles they claim they do, the reality is, is that once they, we see a failure, we know that they're not speaking for God. We know that this isn't from God, and they're, they're false. So therefore, they're not speaking for God because they're doing false miracles, false healings, and by the way, people think healing should be so common. There, there's only 46 healings mentioned in the Bible.
0: And, and how many of those were not Jesus?
3: Yeah, they they're only like out of the 46, I think 12 are done by humans. And I think right. eight of the 12 are are the are apostles. <laughs> so, so you got Elijah and Yeah. So you, you're how in the world do you sit there and say this should be common? we should see healings everywhere. We saw healings with Jesus. Why? Jesus was different. Why did Jesus have the most miracles? Because he is a different person. He was putting his deity on display over and over again. Jesus coming on earth was the culmination of, of all of history up to that point. Everything was focused on him. So when he did miracles, it was because he's God on earth. And everything he was doing for the atonement, Was So we look back to that and say, look, we can clearly see he did what no man could do, so what he said is valid, he was God, he could forgive sins. In in fact, that's exactly the point he makes when they bring the—they lower the man down through the roof in front of him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And they're—wait, what? Who can forgive sins but God alone, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Jewish leaders are upset that he's claiming to be what? God by forgiving sins. And he he doesn't sit there and deny it. He says which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, they're both equally easy to say, but one can be vindicated. If I say to Fred Butler, your sins are forgiven, you can't see that. But if he's a paraplegic and I say get up and walk, you can see whether that happens. Kenneth Copeland doesn't get that because he mm-hmm. says to plenty of people, <laughs> rise up and walk and they don't. And so the thing is, is what does Jesus do to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins, thus, therefore, that he is God? He turns to a paralytic, paralytic and says, get up and walk. And the guy gets up with no physical therapy, stands up, leaping, running, jumping, because that's the way God healed. Very different than the New, the, the, the New Testament healings from what they claim today, right? You, you look in the New Testament, those healings were complete. They were immediate. They were full. In other words, you you didn't have someone who got healed, but then got fell back into blindness. And it was also for everybody. There was nobody who Jesus didn't heal that he didn't want to heal, even if they were unbelievers. So when these guys today go, Oh, it's based on your faith. No, that's a cop-out because Mm -hmm. you're, that's the, that's so that the guy who's saying he has the, the power to heal so that he can say it's your fault that you're not healed but you know I, I, one thing i find interesting um with all these faith healers i don't know if you notice this have you noticed they almost all wear, sun, uh, wear, wear eyeglasses? yep <laughs> i mean th- i i see them wearing glasses and and i go uh physician heal thyself like what's wrong with what's with your faith <laughs> well yeah. the, i
2: was going to say the whole thing with bethel redding and that you know, his wife dying of cancer recently and and then that baby a couple of years ago that had died an olive or whatever her name was, and they're trying to raise this baby's corpse from the dead. I mean, that was that that was just tragic. And it's amazing that, okay, if these are legit and you guys can do these things that you claim you've got the power to do, then that should have happened,
3: but it didn't. That's right. Yeah, you know justin. what bothers me the most with with bill johnson with like the situation with his wife when his wife was ill she was in the hospital so mm-hmm. same thing with i mean i went to a kenneth copeland uh conference with justin peters we were doing some research and each one of the speakers talked about being ill i mean Cruflow dollar talked about his battle with cancer and what did he do he went to doctors All these guys that are telling people, oh, you could be healed, but they go to doctors. Here's the thing that bothers me, Bill Bill Johnson. He had a woman who was working for him. I can't remember if she was volunteering, but she worked directly for Bill Johnson. She had a cancer that was 100% treatable. Oh, man. And Bill Johnson told her going to the doctor proved that she lacked faith. And so she stopped going to the doctor and prayed. And when the cancer ravished her body, this is a young mother. she had she newly married, just gave birth, had a young child, and she ended up having to quit working for Bill Johnson to to move to p a, which is how I found out about this, because basically she went to live with her parents to die. Oh man. Following the advice of Bill Johnson, and Bill Johnson doesn't follow his own advice. When his wife was sick, She got some of the best medical treatment she could get, but this aren't there a lot of stories like
0: that that come out of both Redding and um, and IHOP, a lot of that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, it's satanic. It's terrible. It is absolutely. That's evil.
0: Yeah. No, I was. I mean, I I I, I (laughs) almost I wanted to joke that why don't these guys like get together and just have like a healing fest? So Kreffler dollar can heal bill Johnson's wife and bill Johnson can heal Kreffler dollar. And, and what, I mean, well, they do have a healing just, fest.
3: That's, that's actually what, uh, Copeland's conferences are because they have a healing. But They don't
0: heal each other. They and, heal and,
3: people who bring lots of money to these conferences. Well, no, they don't. They, they, the, I think it was, I still haven't put this video together. I want to, there, there's a, there's video of, of Copeland, at this conference, just saying, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And then there's a guy that he actually goes to touch and the guy falls backwards out of his, in his wheelchair. And they they just pick up the wheelchair and he moves on. <sighs> I, and so I wanted to like, like have him like a video, just him going through, like, you are healed, ding one. You are healed, ding two. Like all the people that aren't actually, they never get up out of the wheelchair. And then like him walking by that one, have like, like, th- like buzzers going off, like ding, 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 ding. ding. Like not healed, <laughs> yeah. but they don't because they, they, they don't have the gift of healing that they claim they do because there's no purpose for them to have the gift. Right. Because what do they claim? They claim that what, when they get a prophecy, they get a word from the Lord. They will say this is not scripture, but it it, it has to be equal in authority with scripture. It has to be, because it comes from well, the same source.
0: You laid out that whole pattern. I mean, it, if the pattern held, they would be writing Scripture right now. They should be. I mean, we would have a almost a Third Testament
3: that we'd have to staple to the back of our Bibles. But we should only see the, those miracles for 30, 40 years, if, if it's going to stay to the pattern we see in the mm-hmm. Bible. Because that's their whole claim is we see miracles in the Bible, therefore we should see miracles today. But we only see miracles— for a 30 to 40 year period after the writing or before the writing of new scripture. So these miracles kind of precede the new writing of scripture. And then you have the writing of scripture. And as you have the writing of scripture, those miracles fade out. So Mm -hmm. if miracles are happening today for the last hundred years as claimed, then we should have by now not only seen the new writing of scripture, but seen them fade out already. Yeah. So the burden of proof is on those that say are the continuationists and even those that are open but cautious to justify why miracles would be happening today, apart from the the revelation of scripture, because that's the pattern that we see. Mm -hmm.
0: But what do they try to justify it with when they are pressed?
3: Well, they, they'll say that they're, they're different. They say that, oh, that's the, the that same reason that they say, well, those miracles back then had to be 100%. These only have to be 80 to 85%. Those miracles back then were for either God's judgment, as the prophets did, or, or gifts that were for the purpose of the church. Now they say, oh, these are for self-edification, which I'll just challenge anybody. Yes, it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that speaking in tongues is for self-edification, and so for people who take that literal, I I'm, my argument would be, Paul is condemning the behavior, yeah. of using it as a private prayer language. Why? Because you don't see anywhere in Scripture where self-edification is promoted. In fact, the theme we see throughout Scripture is that self-edification is condemned. Mm-hmm. It's not it's never, not once. It, it, let's exclude 1 Corinthians 14. Because the argument is that's, that's what it's teaching. Well, if that's what it's teaching, why is it condemned everywhere else in the Bible? But here, suddenly, self-edification is a good thing. There's no gift ever given for self-edification, but this one somehow has transformed into self-edification. I think what happened in the first century why Paul is having to write that letter is to condemn the very behavior we see today. And people say, well, you know, how could he— How could be what we what do we see we see in the in acts chapter two the speaking of tongues was known human languages okay Mm. known we know them because they're listed you we take known human languages and within just a few decades we have gibberish and that's what paul is condemning there They're speaking gibberish, nonsense, useless stuff. And the arguments that they probably made that Paul's condemning is, well, we're speaking the language of angels. We're speaking just to God. It's a private prayer language. The same claims made today. Now let's look at the history, go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s when we started seeing the charismatic gifts start that people claim they were doing the speaking in tongues. What did they actually believe? Farman taught his followers that they were speaking known human languages. You know what they did? They got on boats. They went all over the world thinking they could do missionary work and just come to a place like China and speak in Chinese and be able to get there. And you know what? They came back with their tail between their legs because they got there and not one of them could speak the language that they claimed, the the known human language that they claimed they could. And they came back in embarrassment so what did they do acknowledge they were wrong of course not they suddenly changed to saying they all were speaking an angelic language and it was a private prayer language and that happened within just a few decades that they shifted like that so i would say that we saw that in history in recordable history that we have in our day we could probably say that's exactly what happened in the first century same behavior same human behavior and one of the funny things with that is Justin Peters actually has uh, the the woman who went to China saying that she could speak Chinese. She actually wrote something in Chinese. Uh-huh. And So Justin <laughs> Justin calls me up and he says, "Hey, I need I need to do a video call with you. I need your wife to see something. I want to see the reaction on her face." I said, <laughs> "Okay." Now, for those who don't know, my wife is was born in Hong Kong and grew up speaking Chinese. That's her mother tongue. She speaks, reads and and writes and speaks Chinese so he he puts this up on the screen and says to her you know what is this and she (laughs) looks at that and says chicken scratch that's chicken scratch (laughs) 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 so you know that's the reality someone that knows Chinese looks at this and goes that's just chicken scratch It's nothing it's meaningless that is the the failure of that movement and I think the same the same thing that happened after Foreman is the same thing we saw that happened after Paul. You know, they spoke in tongues, in Acts, and, now, and Paul's dealing with them speaking a gibberish and going, oh, but I'm so spiritual because look, God is blessing me because I speak an angelic language. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says there is an angelic language. And if you're going to turn to First Corinthians 13, one and say, No, that is saying that Paul could speak an angelic language, where he says, If I speak the men the, the languages of men, even of angels, but have not love, I'm a clanging symbol. If you're believing that he's saying he could speak all the languages of men and even of angels, if that's what he's actually saying, then you have to accept in verse two that he's God. Because in two chapter verse, Chapter 13 verse 2 he says if i know all mysteries and have all knowledge and all faith even to move mountains but have not love i'm nothing no he's using sarcasm and exaggeration to say that if he could do what only god could do but has not love he's nothing it's it's the most extreme way he could say to people that are puffed up in their in their these spiritual gifts that they that they're claiming they have it's the most extreme way that Paul could say, if you're not loving one another, you are nothing. Eat with all the gifts that you have, which is exactly what we see in those circles, by the way. We see a lot of spiritual pride about the gifts and very little love for one another in, in many of those groups. All they're about is their gifts. And money for self. I mean, we, we don't want to neglect the you know Creflo dollars and all, who he's he's aptly named for his his...
2: That's why back um a long time ago, when you know everything that Andrew's talking about, I wrote a series of articles a few years ago called Why Continuationism is not a secondary issue, where it's like uh you know the you see the absolute soul devastation that takes place in people's lives when they're not healed when they are basically told yeah, you're not baptized in the spirit or you're not saved because you're not speaking in tongues. I mean, it has, you know, this issue has serious ramifications upon just the Christian walk and Christianity in general. That's why, I, I mean, I take that as being on the level of like your beliefs about God and who Christ is, I mean, if you're basically telling people, I guess you could say, if I take the Hank Hannigraff way, it's like, well, these are just issues that we can debate vigorously, but we shouldn't divide over. So if he wants to believe this nonsense about speaking in tongues and healing people, well, he can do that. He's got the liberty. When I see too much devastation and, and problems that come or, or that arise from that are just spiritually destructive to people's lives, I don't see how you can place them in some kind of secondary position where it's like well if you want to believe in infant baptism or you know believers baptism is it's it's like that it's not like that at all because it's such a a terrible thing that it binds people's consciences and just makes their lives shipwreck at times the door will even abandon the faith a lot of the high profile atheists that are out there like um Oh, I can't even think of his name. (laughs) So much for being high profile. But um, I mean, several of them come from Assembly of God or Pentecostal backgrounds. So that's what they saw as Christianity. And because God didn't answer prayers with regards to um, healing somebody or doing something for them, the way the charismatics claimed. Well, you know, they have no interest in God anymore. It's it's terrible.
3: Yeah. And I said, you know, at, at the conference, I ended the conference by saying, why is this important? And I think the reason it's so important is what's at stake here is the sufficiency of scripture. Do we believe that the word of God is everything that we need for faith and practice, or do we think we need something more? The charismatic movement says we need something more and it's ever growing more because if one person speaks in tongues, another person has a word of faith. If a person has a word of faith, another person has a prophecy. If a person has a prophecy, another person went to heaven. If a person went to heaven, then you know, you're going to have a person that not only goes to heaven, but Jesus is weeping at that person's feet and and asking him to help out. I mean, everyone wants to outdo each other with these experiences, mm-hmm. and it's a lack of sufficiency of Scripture. The Scripture has everything we need for faith and practice. The other damaging thing that I think it does is the way I started the message is with a warning of why it's so hard to talk to people that believe in the continuation of the gifts. And the reason it's so difficult to talk to them about these things is because they, they get their identity in their gifts not god not Mm -hmm. christ and scripture and you'll see that because anytime you have these arguments they will always always i don't care who it is i used to say that most people would do it but now i I end up having to say all people i don't know any charismatic that i've discussed with that doesn't eventually appeal to their experience once they're they can't answer according to scripture yeah when i had this happen I told a prophecy, I speak in tongues, I had this, whatever it is, they always appeal to personal experience instead yeah. of appealing just to scripture. My appeal is to what scripture says and my experience better be in line with scripture. I don't try to make scripture be in line with my experience because once that happens, I can make the Bible say anything I want it to based on my experience. I'm going to just experience it and say, well, that's what the Bible says. Th- this is the whole thing. That I think is damaging to people is they start to elevate their experience and themselves above scripture and they don't even realize they're doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just look at all the songs written for charismatics, you know, by the charismatics. It's all about self. Even when they do sing about God, what are they singing about what God did for me? It's all about me. Their whole focus is on the experience, on the self, which is what God condemns. And and so where Fred says it shipwrecks their faith, I think what, what it does is they get their identity in the miraculous mm. gifts, and that becomes their focus, and they start to lose sight of the scriptures. And that's why I say it shows a lack of sufficiency of scripture, because they're living for the experience. They're living for the self, not for Christ.
0: And then- Isn't it also, it's, it's a form of blasphemy, really, when you're- Making claims about God, you're saying, you know, take prophecy. Your God said such and such, when God didn't actually say such and such. I mean, it's it's really blasphemous, and it gets down to you know. When Fred was talking, I wanted to interject and say it's it's really the the third commandment, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not, mm-hmm. and the third commandment isn't simply saying you know what you scream when you hit your thumb with a you hammer. That's
2: cur- not, not cursing.
0: <laughs> it's it, it's claiming to be of God when you're not, you're in in, 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 your faith is vanity. It's just nothing.
2: Yeah. You bring in the character of God to disrepute. Mm
3: -hmm. Exactly. And that's why I think that this issue is so important. That's why I'm looking forward to the film coming out. I think that it is going to be crucial for folks to hopefully bring a lot of people out of a, a, what I want to say, a fringe Christian movement and into Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that Mm. charismatics aren't saved. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they're distracted. Mm -hmm. When they focus, especially if they're going to the churches that focus a lot on these gifts, most of them are focusing on those gifts and some guy saying he got a prophecy, a word from the Lord, rather than focusing on the word from the Lord that we already have. Right. Written down in sixty six books. That's all we need. And when people think that's not enough, well, I would argue, what's your case? like did you memorize the word the whole Bible? you know it inside and out, you understand all of its depths because if the answer is no, then get to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean no. so many Christians are looking for something like I need I need to improve my life. I you know I have this. That. Look, the the charismatic movement is not going to work. Let's get back to what we were saying in the beginning of the show. The charismatic movement is not going to work when the government comes in and starts arresting people for their faith. You're going to see a lot of charismatics just give up Christianity because that's not the experience they want. And you're going to see a lot of those of us cessationists that are going to go, okay, time to start prison ministry. Because that's because our faith is in God and what he has said, not God and what he's done through me. Right? Mm -hmm. And if we're living for an experience, prison isn't going to be it. That's why you never see, I've never heard of Benny Hinn going to Iraq or Iran and doing an event there. Why? It doesn't sell there. You know, his message is not one of "Hey, live under a regime that'll kill you and torture you if you don't agree with them." That that doesn't work.
0: No, that'll get us back to the Dominion.
3: Yeah, <laughs> in the previous conversation. Hey, I'm trying to pull it all together. <laughs> it was just some random thing, right?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, we're over an hour, and I think I'm gonna um, we'll, we'll skip the third topic. Well, I'm a little distracted uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here. I'm hearing some weird noises in the background and whatnot. So I think I'll wrap up. And yeah, thank you guys so much for coming. And um, I'm going to probably work later today on getting this up and hopefully posted over the weekend sometime. But thanks again and looking forward to next year.
1: Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support.
0: That wraps up episode 176. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 176. Please also check out all of the great shows available at the Christian Podcast Community, including Andrew's several shows. And then you can join me on the Echo Ministries page at Locals. That's echozoe.locals.com, L-O-C-A-L-S.com. You can support the ministry there as well as interact with the community, and I look forward to seeing you there. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the January episode of Echo Zoe Radio.